Okay. Hi there. And now that you're here, we're all in the company of your cool aunts. I'm Sam. And I'm Ted. And this is the Your Cool Aunts podcast, where we follow the lives and times of cool aunts through Claire's diary. So, welcome back. And if you're new here, you can join the conversation in our Facebook group. And there's more on our website, and Twitter, and Instagram. So, follow us, like us, subscribe, and now let's get to it. <laughs> Hi. Hi. Let's get to it. What do we have today? I think Claire's going to take us on a little journey. Mm. Claire always takes us on a journey. Mm. Journey with Claire. Sounds like a book series. <laughs> Maybe it is. Get Go away ahead. with Claire. Get away with Claire. <laughs> the getaway. Maybe the getaway sounds like cops and robbers. Now we're going to have people sending us notices, you know. Call it this. Claire starts off her note today with saying, even though I haven't shared too many travel stories with her yet, you know that I travel a lot. And I guess what she's referencing here is we know now that she's a wine buyer and traveling the world and doing that. She has shared that with us. So she goes on to say, and while I've had a lifelong dream of traveling in Japan, especially to Kyoto, I haven't been there just yet, but I will and soon. But for now, whenever I'm in San Francisco, I satiate my dream by roaming through Japantown. This is a personal escape I allow myself almost every time I'm there. I think I started my little mini personal tradition on my second visit to the city, and I've kept true to it ever since. These shops are treasures of culture, antique objects, and pathways into the past. Have you ever, have you ever been, in, been through some of these shops yes. you're talking about? Yeah. Some of them are very junky, you know, like almost their version of a dollar store, and then others are just... Incredible. Wow. Remember the tea store in uh, Paris? The tea oh, shop? yeah. The tea, tea, it was teapots. Teapots. Teapots and, and, and like, they holders, were, like tea Most holders. of them were, were iron, weren't they? Yes. Is that my record? And then Absolutely they, beautiful They have these place. different ornamental um, little, sort of a dish, but an ornamental shape, like it could be a leaf, like a maple leaf or something like that to put you know, your tea making implements on or, or I'm not going to say tea bags because they, no, don't, no, they no. don't do it that way. But, you know, tea little, infusers, like the little the little bamboo whisk and the strainer and you put it there. Anyway, Claire continues. I realize that roaming these narrow streets is not representative of Kyoto by any stretch of anyone's imagination. However, there is so much authenticity there with the shopkeepers in their stocks. It's not at all difficult to get lost in these few city blocks because I spend so much time in any one shop that when I leave, I can't remember from which direction I came. I've done that. <laughs> you know, you come from you the left <laughs> and when you walk out, you should turn to the right to continue on your way, depending what side of the street. And um, you come out and you're, where did I come from? Yeah. And... I enjoy the challenge of finding my way without a map. <laughs> Here we go again. Huh? If you know what I mean. And we'll talk again soon, Claire. So what do we have here? She's roaming Japantown in San Francisco, having a little, you know, twice removed Kyoto experience, I guess. That's what she's dreaming of, traveling. I think we can do that, though. We can, when we can't get to a place, you can travel there in other ways. You know? you know what I think about when I go into those little shops to smell? 
the smell of incense sometimes. Oh, yeah. Um, but, the... but going into Japantown and the sense that, that, you know, you go into a place where there's um, spices. Well, the cooking that's going on, amazing. too, which is in, inescapable, you know. And the cooking, yeah. And don't walk down one of these streets on a rainy, wintry day and you're hungry and, oh, man. And sometimes I remember in Boston, my parents used to take us up there when we were, we were little tots. And really, we went there frequently on Sundays. And we, we would go to this one place they were very fond of back then. Anyway, so... um but the the cooking smells and just things you, you don't ordinarily see. Yeah. It really is. It and really can be a little like stepping into another place in yeah. another time even. Right? And the incredible colors. You know, they are very bright colors in the stores and Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, just it it's just a it's just a magnificent thing to view to see because it's so different from everything else that's around you. I get very caught up in anything to do with calligraphy, but that's a pursuit of another of another hour, I guess. So Claire has set this up. So she's roaming Japantown in San Francisco, probably in a stopover of her travels. Although, you know, her mother is up there that's now. True. So, yeah. I mean, she's north of San Francisco, up in uh, the Sonoma area there. So Claire... Here we go. Just a plug, if you're ever in San Francisco, there's a place called the Kabuki Spa. Oh, which is man. Oh. Unbelievably. Oh, just a wonderful place this to This is not a posh spa that's, you know, all about pampering. This is a traditional Japanese bathhouse. Bathhouse, yeah. That's exactly what you'd call it. And there are days that men go and days that women go. And it's it's just it's I think just there's one day when it's mixed, but you have to, you know, be Wear decent. clothes. <laughs> yeah, it's it's really a, and that's a great experience. On Friday afternoons, they get very busy because people want to do it before the weekend. And they'll leave work early on a Friday afternoon. And, you, you know, they limit the number of people going right. in, obviously. It's associated with the hotel there. That's a great thing to do. If you're there, find it. Take go. advantage. Yep. Get over being shy. I mean, you don't have to walk around fully And they exposed. also have spa can, services, too. You can wear something you if can you want. You can wear a bathing the, suit if you yeah. want. You can do anything you like. But it's all about, they have the heated bath, the steam room, the big, it's like a small pool, and it's pretty hot. And they have a cold pool, a cold dip, and these cedar benches where you can just oh. lie there in the steamy atmosphere. and people, the washing stations. People have you know there almost looks like a little mini shower set up against the wall where there's a little wooden stool and there's several of them and you can you know wash yourself off and hose yourself you know in the traditional way well they have standing traditional western showers too but the whole environment is a large room and the whole environment it does offer some a little bit of privacy if you want it you know you can just find a place to lie down on one of those cedar benches and just take your towel and meditate it's very quiet i'm with, there right now with a little bit of um <laughs> just light japanese flute little meditative music yeah, yeah. very very it's... gentle background and trinkling water sound and not expensive and... either no no it's, it's, it's incredible. Less than a movie yeah, yeah it's less than a movie anyway <sighs> i took you there for a minute there's another little japanese treat i <laughs> indulge in i can't i'm sorry one other thing i love to watch this Japanese artist, he's into pottery. 
He's not into pottery. He's a master artist, and there's no sound other than the the wheel, and there's no no talking. There's no music. What is nothing. it? A YouTube? Yeah. Huh. I can watch these things for hours. I know. Weird. Whatever. And he was, oh, at one point he was interviewed and um, he was talking about his dream destination was to visit Kyoto and to study there. And there was a a very, very well-known ceramic master in Kyoto. And he went and I think studied under him for a bit. And, you know, and now he's, he looks like he's 45 or 50 and he's, I think he's in his 80s. Wow. One of these incredible, he sits on one of those tiny little, it's not even as big as a stool. It's just a little wooden perch, you know, and he sits his, sits at his wheel, you know, throwing clay. It's just amazing. So back to the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> this diary entry is entitled The Japanese Matchmaker. Claire starts off, a doorway into Kyoto. On this particular occasion, I made a deliberate effort to lose my way making unplanned turns or by entering a different shop. Quite dark. This one was packed to the ceiling with an extreme order, probably understood only by the proprietor. Surprised by her appearance from behind a stack of very small wooden tables, I was startled and thrilled by her presence. She was stunning, an elegant woman who could be an opera diva. She was wearing a floor-length kimono and intricate obi belt and she carried a tiny tray with two steaming cups of tea. We sat for nearly an hour, and I learned that she viewed her shop as a collection of her lifetime. Although it seemed devoted to antiques and small wood furniture, I had a feeling there were some unexpected treasures, too. Wow. (laughs) A floor-length kimono. (laughs) Would you like some tea? I can just picture that. Wow. I'm just going to continue. I, I, I have I'm wrapped up here. The next section, she says, matchmaking. And then she offered to find me something special. With her back turned to me, she let two Hinoki incense batons. And turning back, she asked if I was interested in pearls. Hmm. My heart nearly stopped, and I found it difficult to swallow my sip of tea. Madame Asai was surveying a three-foot-high stack of unmarked, shallow wood boxes. These were something between a box and a tray. Only about two inches deep, they were highly polished, too. And she selected one midway down the tall stack. Declining my assistance, she pulled the box with a snap of her wrist, and the remaining boxes dropped into place as if they were on a rail, in perfect order. Finally seated, she opened the box by sliding the front panel aside and then released the top by pressing on the front edge. I need to stop. (laughs) Whoa. This reminds me of the uh, Japanese furniture makers. You know how they have a box. Secret compartments. You think that it's one way to, there's a way to Mm -hmm, open it and mm -hmm. it's not, and you slide it over and it pops up and. That's what this sounds like. That's another weird thing I look at on YouTube, too. A Japanese cabinet maker. I could watch this guy all day long. It's it's just amazing. The precision, uh, the artistry, and they don't use fasteners. Hmm. It's all a system of joinery and clever slip into place with a peg, and uh, it's, it's just amazing. What's amazing is how they have handed that down from generation to generation. And the only time you see that in this country 
is either an antique or somebody yeah, has a yeah. particular love, you know, a craftsman, it's, a real cabinet it's, maker. It's type. vocation and commitment and... Uh, it's life's work. Yeah. It's life work. Yeah. Inside, there were eight red silk boxes, exactly like my Gump's pearl box, but clearly much, much older. And I thought this had to be the original source of what Gump's had reproduced. Long silk twisted cords with tassel ends were loosely tied around each small box. The boxes themselves were treasures, never mind the contents. Footnote. Gump's is a store in San Francisco pretty devoted to the artistry of China and Japan, I would say both, but I think more Japan, maybe? Not, not yeah, positive I think you're about right. that. Yeah, It's very expensive. They sell jewelry. They sell small home decorative things like... Um, Their gift boxes are even little works of art. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it, it really just beautiful little treasures, all kinds of things, but from the Far East. I'll put it that way more broadly. Claire continues... Suddenly, I was awash with disappointment as I realized this was probably way outside of my, quote, financial range of possibilities, as my mother would say. In reading my thoughts, Madame Asai looked at me directly and told me, we'll find a way, don't worry. I went along with her premise more because I was enjoying her presence and company, insisting on placing every strand of pearls over my head. She settled on a long strand without a clasp, that could also be doubled. I guess like twice loop. She doesn't know this woman, right? I mean, this is a no, she walks chance into a away, Yeah, chance she walks meeting. into a shop and the woman greets her in a trust match made in Japantown. I did attempt to refuse, but this was not to be. Madame Asai insisted that these were the pearls for me and declaring she was more of a matchmaker than a shopkeeper. The price... It was more than double of what I could pay. No matter. She waved off my refusal, saying she would accept payments because she had found a home for these pearls. I left the shop wearing the pearls. And for two years thereafter, I sent her anywhere from three to six new $20 bills in a plain envelope on the first of the month. At the end of the second year, I received a brown paper wrap box from Madame Asai's shop address. Inside was one of the corded silk boxes with eight Inoki incense sticks and a large piece of white rice paper with the Japanese characters for thank you, brushed by hand in deep blue ink. And then Claire has the, the Japanese characters written out here. Wow. The English letters read... In advance, apology for my difficult <laughs> pronunciation. Osorai Remasu. Okay, hopefully that's close, meaning thank you. The next section is entitled, How to Say Thank You. There are more than a few ways to express thank you in Japanese, varying in degree of politeness and social setting. Here, Manamasai used the polite version preferred for business clients. The red ink circular stamp with the shop logo made it official. Time out. Did you know? <laughs> From watching YouTube, I learned about this. This is our YouTube edition, folks. No, and, and you know, and um, many people who travel to Japan find this too. And 
it's a thing. Everybody has their own stamp, and you can buy little cheap ones that— Your signature. Yeah, you're you're expected to have a stamp, and there are stamps people use for stamping a receipt. You know, when somebody delivers something to your house, you have like a stamp you use for that. There are different kinds of stamps, and then there are very official, formalized ones. And these things can go all the way from dollar store quality all the way up to these custom numbers that are works of art. Really beautiful. The whole process of using it and inking it and applying your stamp approaches tea ceremony formality, right? But you see this on a lot of artwork from that region where you'll see the Japanese characters brushed down vertically along one edge and then a red circular stamp with sometimes a very stylized character or group of characters in it. Just wanted to share that with you. So she sends this, she stamps this So the receipt was stamped. So she had brushed by hand the Osorayomasu, stamped it with the shop's official red ink circular stamp. After some research, Claire says, she replied with Osorayomasu, which is also an expression of thank you that offers appreciation for someone having gone out of their way for you. It's a concise expression, which I have not easily matched in English, giving me a way to express my feelings exactly and appropriately. Although the expressions are exactly the same, it's the context. The context of its use changes the implication. So same word, same characters, same translation. But coming from Mrs. Asai, excuse me, Madam Asai, to Claire... It's a formal business transaction appreciation. Thank you for your business. Coming from Claire to Madame Asai, it is more of thank you so much for all that you have done for me. Very different connotation. That's interesting. Was the value in the pearls, the box, or was it the exchange? Yes to all. Her note continues to live in the box with the pearls when I'm not wearing them. That's it. That's it? That's that's how she ends it. Classic Claire. Builds you up and then drops you off. (laughs) Well, she sure gave us a whole lot to dwell on. I think what's interesting about language when she says, you know, it's the same word, but it depends who it's coming from and who it's going to or how it's received, the context of it all. And I think one of the things about English is it's very difficult to get those kinds of expressions. Thank you is thank you. And there's no other way... Yeah. yeah, you know, versus the way other... I was thinking of two and vous in French and how one is formal and one is more familiar mm-hmm. and how, you know, how different people react to different things that are said to you. Mm-hmm. How you feel your status is uh, designated by how somebody refers to you. Right. But we don't have that in English. It's no. you is you and thank you is thank you and everything yeah. is pretty generic. No, so. you have to start tacking on additional words. So... The context, the setting, the, the people involved are not as important as the structure of the words, you know, the exact words, their definition. Of course, the setting has meaning in, you know, in any language. Of course it does. But far more so in this circumstance that Claire describes. You have a shopkeeper thanking someone for her business and she's a person, it seems she's an older per- she's older than Claire, it sounded like to me. And then 
Claire is a client who is reflecting back to a senior, if you will. Uh, but she's not a client. But there's also that. a trust thing here. There's, right? Oh, my God. I mean, yeah. the, the fact that I, take I the pearls and pay me later. And pay wow. me later. And over the period of two years, she pays her every month. And and I think that is also in this thank you. It's thank you for your business. But it's also Claire in thanking her for trusting her for those two years. Well, you know? I don't think there was an agreed upon amount. Oh. I think Menemasai sent it when it was enough. When it was enough. Sent yeah. the thank you yeah. when, like, okay, you've sent me enough money now. Yeah, I, I could see that. Yeah, I could <laughs> Which see that. brings it to a whole other level of trust, right? That's extraordinary. But think about how all the components of this, the transaction, the tea, the, you know, the pearls, the box, the whole bit. Eight, the, eight, the eight incense. Oh, well, eight is a very lucky number. Because it's the infinity symbol and it's, you know, this whole thing about the number eight. But it's, you know, it, it's not just, it's not the transaction of I buy something for you, I take it home and I wear it and that's the end of it. This was an ongoing transaction and relationship that built over those few years. You know what I mean? It wasn't oh, just a oh, transaction, yeah. you know, it wasn't transactional at all. It was far deeper than that. Well, she said, you know, the woman described herself as being a matchmaker. You know, she wasn't going to let anybody have the wrong thing right. in her mind. <laughs> Some authority. I had, a, I had one assertion of authority there. I had one experience, not similar, but I'll throw it out there and you can mm. tell me. But I, I was selling some stuff and uh, I was moving from one city to another and I was selling some stuff. And this young woman came and she was she was just starting out and she didn't have mm -hmm. anything. And I told her it was like a bed and a dresser. And she said, um, I can't afford to pay you all of it now. Mm -hmm. And I said, oh, that's fine. What do you have? And she said, well, I can give you whatever she was going to give me like as a down payment and she would pay me every month for a year. And I agreed to that. I didn't know who she was. I'd never seen her before. It was like a, a you know, a, a yard sale. And do you know, every single month that girl sent me a check until she, we did agree on a price until she finished paying for it. You know something? She probably tells the story about this woman who trusted her and gave <laughs> yeah, her a Yeah, probably, probably. But it was, a, I, I just thought about that. But it was just a, you know, like someone starting out and I didn't need the stuff. So why not? You know, so there is something about trust. Yeah, but the people. value in this goes way past the furniture and all the other things. I, I mean, mean not for you, that I had for pearls, you as well. But I mean, yeah, the, but, the feeling yeah. you have about it, just that you're telling us this story now. But I think it's, cool. it's. It's kind of neat when you can, you know, have a relationship with a stranger where you both benefit from it. You know, she got something I, you know, certainly was willing to sell, though she couldn't pay for it right then and there. And she got something mm -hmm. as well, which is, mm -hmm. you know, your word is your bond. You know, you say you're going to pay. And I never had to go after her every month it came. This happened, I remember, I was about, I don't know, early high school years. My mother was selling a house. and. It was the house that my grandmother had lived in. It was not a big deal. It's not, no, I don't want to, I don't want you to think it's some big real estate transaction. It was just a, a little regular little old house. And um, it's a little two family house. And this woman came along and she wanted to buy it. They made the offer and, you know, it was very starter house. Let me put it that way. My mother was not interested in making any money because this was, there was a lot of emotion tied up in it. And, um, 
this lady shows up at the closing and the real estate lawyer was there and he said, you know, I don't think these people, I don't think we should do this closing. They don't, I don't think they have the money and all this stuff. And so my mother went outside with this, with this young woman who was buying the house. And, and she asked her, she said, do you have the money? And the girl looked at her and hesitated. She said, no, I don't have enough. And my mother said, if I loaned it to you, do you want to go ahead with it? And the girl just looked at her and started, you know, her eyes teared up. And um, every week she sent my mother a check. Every week. Wow. You know, every week. Wow. It wasn't a, an enormous amount of money. I mean, for her it was, you know, but it was. Yeah. How often do you run into someone willing to do that for you? And I think she, I think they were, I don't know, half a dozen payments left or something. They didn't, they didn't have an agreement on paper. You know, you're not supposed to do these things, but. And it was it was the end of the year, and my mother sent her a Christmas card and said, "That's it." Oh wow! Really? Yeah, oh it's my so gosh! Sweet. Huh. But you know, when you're a kid, you're in high school, and you watch these things, and you go, "Yeah, you know, maybe my mother's a little bit cool." <laughs> After all is said and done, right? Maybe there's a cool aunt in there. <laughs> there's you know? a cool aunt in there. Yeah, yeah. No, I always, I always thought, I thought that was a pretty what a cool sweet thing. story. That's a very sweet story. Yeah. Anyway. Let's keep this conversation going. Do you have a story like this? Did you ever give somebody a break? Yeah. <laughs> Play matchmaker? Did you maker? ever get a break? Yeah. <laughs> be kind to others. That the is... name of this story. The, yeah. 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 The, the takeaway from this is be kind to others. And yes. they will be kind to you. They so. will be. There are decent people out there. So, and we invite all of them to join us in our Facebook group. <laughs> with the cool aunts everywhere. Continues. Um, tell us your stories and your cool aunts, all of you. I'm Sam. And I'm Ted. And we'll see you next week when we're back at the mic. <laughs>